Um, this is going to be a slightly different Sunday um, because we are starting Mark's Gospel. And so it's going to be a bit lengthy. So not to wear you out completely, I decided to split the things that I had to say in, in two parts. But before, uh, before I, um, I sort of uh, kick us off with the series, uh, a very warm welcome for those who are visiting and, and just uh, for the first time. And those who are coming back from the holidays, it's, it's so, so very good to see you. And it's such a joy to begin this, this new year with the new series in the gospel. So this winter-spring time we're going to spend in the Mark's Gospel. Now, one might ask why? Why um, spend time in the gospel? Isn't the gospels for those who have just started in their faith? Should we not rather take up, um, you know, more meaty stuff um, that is in, let's say, Romans? Well, God willing, we will look at the Romans in autumn, so be patient. When we're, you know, when we're all suntanned and filled with the vitamin D and happy, and, and we'll, we'll get to the Romans. But let me tell you already now, the more meaty stuff of Romans is nothing but the gospel. Those who've been studying with Robert, you know that. Nothing but the gospel. The book of Romans is Paul being eager to preach the gospel to the Christians. Well, the gospel is not just for those who are starting in faith. When I was a Christian barely a year, I met with one pastor over coffee, and at the end of our meeting, he handed me down a book which was about the gospel of grace. And in that book, in the first page, was one sentence written by a hand, and it said, Remember, the gospel is not just the beginning, it is everything. Friends, we never move away from the gospel. So why come to Mark's gospel in January of 2023? We want to uncover more of what the gospel is. Because we are sustained as Christians through nothing else but the gospel. That's why? Um, what, what exactly are we going to be doing? The gospel, according to Mark, is about, yes, Jesus. Good. Jesus. We are going to explore the life and work of Jesus. In doing that, we will continue asking two questions. First, who is this Jesus? Is he the most noble man ever lived on earth? Is he the prophet, a great one? Is he a miracle maker? And Mark, the author of the gospel, tells us up front in chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll hear in a minute, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is much more than all the above mentioned. And we will explore the identity of Jesus this semester. Who is this Jesus? But the second question we will ask is, why did he come? Did Jesus come to the uh, people so that people would be freed from the oppression of the Roman Empire? Did he come to heal various diseases? Did he come to make people's lives better 
in this world? Did he come to fix this world altogether? And Mark's answer to the question, why did Jesus come, is supposed to surprise us. Here, here are the key verse of the whole book in chapter 1045. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, this semester, we are turning to the gospel because it sustains us. The gospel is about Jesus, our servant king. And we want to get to know him better. So, thirdly, how? How are we going to do that? In order to get to know Jesus better, we need to listen carefully, week in and week out, to what the author Mark says and how he says it. Mark is a spirit-inspired author of the infallible, infallible sorry, word of God. And in order to respond to what he says rightly, we need to come along the disciples, come along other eyewitnesses, and see if their response to the message matches. And we will learn from their mistakes along the line how to respond rightly. But before we dive in to the first 15 verses of Mark's gospel, let me invite Gina to read it for us. And I think then we're going to sing and then Robert's going to pray. Thank you. I'll be reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, if you want to follow along. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
This is the word of God. Amen. Please do keep Mark chapter 1 open. And it would be great if you would be ready also to flick the Bible to some of the Old Testament scriptures. We'll be spending time a little bit in the Old Testament too. But before that, just think about what are some of the most exciting things you have experienced. You don't have to answer loud. It's a rhetorical question, but think, think uh, to your, uh, by yourself, to yourself. What are some of the most exciting things that you have experienced? Of course, those who are uh, married here and are with children will, will think of the either wedding day or, uh, you know, when the first baby and the second and maybe the fourth baby or whatever arriving and, and so on. Uh, but for most of us, most of us, it will be perhaps something else. Maybe you remember this in exciting new phase, the, the transfer, the new job that you've been really waiting for, or studies, or for most of us actually moving to a new country. Can you believe the excitement moving to Latvia winter? Um, all, these, all these are very exciting things, uh, most, most of the part, and they require preparations, they require patient waiting, but eventually, in one way or the other, they are life-changing. Would you not agree? Now, I recall Madara, my wife and, and I, moving to London for two years, 15 years ago. And I still have these exciting memories about the night before, as we were laying there in the bed, wide awake, and I was telling her, darling, do you believe... Do you believe that tomorrow night we will sleep in, an, in a different bed, in a different city, and in a different country? Do you believe that? The time has arrived. It's here. Now, for us, it required a lot of preparation. We had to raise a lot of money and, and, and so on and figure out a lot of logistics. A move to London eventually proved to be life-changing. Those two years were life-changing. Now, friends, Mark, Mark here today presents us with something even more exciting, truly exciting. People who have waited for this moment for many hundreds of years. It is so exciting that moving to a new job or even to a new country, or dare I say getting married, seems like a pale prospect in, in comparison. Mark announces the arrival of the king. Arrival of a completely new kingdom. Mark introduces to us Jesus and hence the heading of today. Boom, he is here. He has been anticipated. People were waiting for this moment. It will prove to be life-changing in so many people's lives. So here is the climax of this moment. Do you have Mark 1 open? Verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand. It's here. It's here. This pronouncement is so big that we need to pause here. Mark talks about a new world order, a change of regime, a change of 
reign. He talks about the fundamental changes like the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mark describes this in the word, one word. It is the gospel. Now, how would you answer your friends, even next week, if they ask you a, a straight question? What is the gospel that you Christians talk about all the time? What is it? How would you answer? Now, I suspect if we would go around the room and hear your answers, they would be so different. It would be such a diversity. Now, one might say, you know, the gospel is that God forgives your sins if you believe him. And someone else might say God loves you and have a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, or God has made you his child and he wants to bless you. Or Jesus died and was raised. But, but then how does this all fit in? Now, there are a couple of things, my friends, we need to know about this word, the gospel, before we continue. The, the word doesn't refer to a literary genre of a book. You know, like letters and poetry and history. And then, then there are gospels, nor is it particularly a Christian term. You might be surprised. It's not a Christian term, really. The gospel simply means great news, big news. Now, here is an example for you. You don't have to turn to, to 1 Samuel. But the word appears in 1 Samuel chapter 31. So what's going on there? The Philistines, they have killed the king Saul. And now they celebrate this great victory over Israel and the king Saul. And here is what they do. Then they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. Did you catch it? The Philistines sent out the messengers to carry the gospel. There is a change of rule. There is a change of regime. We've done it away with this king. We have now a new ruler. Now, this is exactly what Mark does here in the first verse of his book. Mark sets up Jesus as king, God's ruler, and he calls his arrival the gospel, the great news. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Christ, Christ is not Jesus' surname, just in case you're wondering. It is a Greek translation of a Hebrew word, Messiah. It is a title for a king. Messiah. And the Son of God is an allusion to, you probably already know, to Samuel chapter 7. There God promises King David, one of his sons, shall reign on his throne. So the Son of God also is a title for a king. Mark two times says the gospel is about the arrival of the king, the King Jesus well, you might be saying, now I'm, I'm a little confused at, at, at this stage. Now, in your example of, of, of 1 Samuel 31, the gospel was not actually great news for the people of God. 
wasn't it? It was great news for their enemies. I can't see the excitement exactly. What is, what is it going uh, to be with Jesus now? Is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ going to be great news to God's people? No. And if yes, how? How and to whom is it going to be great news? Now, thanks for asking. It's, it's very much appreciated. So let me tell you this before we go on with the introductory verses of Mark's gospel. Friends, our excitement about what we're going to be discovering is going to be proportional to how well we are going to get to know Jesus, who he is and why he's come. And that is why Mark in these first 15 verses will repeatedly pronounce to us, who is this Jesus, who this Jesus is. We hear this from Mark, then we will hear that from the prophets, then we will hear that from the John, and then from the Father himself speaking from heaven, and eventually from Jesus' own lips. And you are right, the gospel is great news. A news of great victory, but not for everyone. No. The gospel is great news only for those who turn to Jesus, come to Jesus, and submit to his reign. Now, with that in mind, let us turn to the introductory verses of, of Mark, just in case, you know, there are some skeptics among us today, Mark builds his case about Jesus' kingship very carefully. He doesn't just say, you know, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and take me for my word. You know, I'm the authority here. No. He builds his case very carefully. He backs up his claims about Jesus, alluding to the Old Testament. And that's verses 2 and 3. Mark points to the prophets who already were talking about this, this, this gospel of Jesus. Now, glance of us too. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare you your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now, in fact, in this quotation, Mark quotes two prophets. The verse 2 is actually a quote from a prophet, Malachi. Now, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. I really, really want you to turn with me to it. So before Matthew, there is Malachi. Please turn to Malachi 3. That's what I promised you, a little uh, flick it, fl flicking of the Bible. Uh, Malachi 3, and glance at verse 1, Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. How does this verse fit in Mark's pronouncement about Jesus? We read how the Lord God himself says, that is, messenger of the covenant, the Lord himself is coming. He will appear, 
Now, in a nutshell, God himself is coming, and the second messenger in Malachi, quote, will be the one who prepares the way before the Lord's coming. What great news from Malachi, eh? God is personally arriving on this planet. How exciting. But is it great news for everyone? It turns out that those who have wearied God by calling evil good and good evil, for them it is going to be a pretty scary day. Now that's what Malachi says in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who? And what can and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. The, the gospel is great news, my friends, about the judgment of God. How will the people know when the judgment comes? Or well, they have to look for a messenger. I have a particularly vivid memories of how this principle plays or played out in my own life. Now, um, I was growing up in the Soviet Union, so born in 1981. So far, most of the parts are original. Um, and in the Soviet Union, so I learned to fear and I learned to dread the dentists. They were the most horrible people. Well, not the most. In theory, I knew that the dentist was good, okay? She, she prevents me from growing up with no teeth at all, so it must be good. But in practice, she seemed more like refiner's fire and full of soap with her piercing brown eyes and moralist tone of how bad I was taking care of my teeth. Every time. Now, my worst nightmare was the gospel that she has arrived in our kindergarten. This great news was the news of my judgment day. Now, you can't even imagine that. How did I know that she has arrived in the kindergarten? Yes, her messenger entered our kindergarten group, dressed in a blazing white robe, that of a medical personnel. And my heart was racing, my spirit was fading, and there was no comfort for me. Literally, I even now am shaking when I remember that. It's a trauma for the rest of my life. Now Mark says, Mark says the coming of the Lord will be scary news because it will be refining. It's a judgment day. People will, will know when the judgment day comes. How? By recognizing the messenger. The coming judgment is, is one side of the great news of, of the gospel. We need to get this. But the flip side of the gospel is salvation. Hence the second quote from the Old Testament prophet, Prophet Isaiah. Please, please turn to Isaiah 40 with me. Isaiah 40. It's one of the big prophets. Uh, um, you can't miss him. Isaiah 40, and I'm going to read from verses 3 to 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way 
of the Lord, makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. Then even ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And in that Isaiah 40, glance at verse 1 before that, how it starts, it, it says comfort. It says comfort, comfort my people. So in a nutshell, the messenger who prepares the way for the coming of the Lord God will be speaking out loud the words of comfort. And he will do that in the wilderness. And his message will be about the salvation of the Lord for his people. Now, funny that after the pronouncements of the prophet about the messenger who's going to proclaim the, the, the wonderful, amazing gospel, we see that a man named John, John appears on the stage in our Mark 1 verse 7. You see, verse 7, and John, he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop and down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, my friends here, Mark wants us to see how all the arrows, all the arrows from the prophets point to this man named John, John the Baptist, as the messenger who comes before the Lord. Now, it seems pretty convincing to us, doesn't it? John is the messenger of Malachi. John is the messenger of Isaiah. It all fits. It's settled. We are content. But Mark isn't. He isn't. He makes one more step. Glance at verse 6. Why bother mentioning John's eccentric dress code? And why bother mentioning his diet? Why? Because Mark wants the connection between the Lord's messenger and John to be watertight. Watertight. Now, let, let's, let's just switch on our imagination here. Let's, let's pretend we hear this dialogue between Jacob and Edna, you know, the first century Jews, um, that are having this conversation in the wilderness. They've gone out, they've heard about this John, this eccentric character, and now they're chatting. Let's pretend we hear this dialogue. Jacob starts, hey, check out, check out his, this John. Does not this, his passionate proclamation remind you of the prophet Isaiah? You know that the voice of one cry, crying in the wilderness Edna says, yes, yes, indeed, and we are in the wilderness, aren't we? Jacob continues, and, and does not this, this message of repentance for the, for, for the forgiveness of sins is like preparing the way for the coming of the Lord? Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, but perhaps he's just a passionate guy who has had too much locusts and wild honey, you know? Jacob says, well, I was thinking the same, but then I noticed his outfit. 
What about it? Well, take a closer look. Does it not ring any bells? Ah, yes, it does. He looks suspiciously like Elijah. But why Elijah? Well, I think I know why, says Jacob. I think something very big is going on. Do you remember when was the last time we heard from God? Yes, we were hearing from him only 400 years ago. And through the prophet Malachi, Edna says, what and what did God say? Exactly, Jacob says, listen to it. Now, please turn with me to Malachi 4, the very last verses of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stumbled. The day that is coming shall set the blaze, set them in blaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And then glance at verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah. The prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So who is coming before the Lord comes? Malachi says, Elijah is coming. Amazing, amazing, says Edna now. John really is the messenger who is this Elijah guy, Elijah-type figure. This is big. Now, friends, I know that this dialogue is completely imaginative, but nevertheless, it is true. Now, how do you think this couple in the wilderness in the first century felt when they discovered these connections? Uh, you know, uh, a, a proper God-fearing Jews who knew their Bibles, the Old Testament. How did they feel? Were they not utterly excited? Now, once you realize that John is the real deal, that he is this Elijah figure, messenger of the Lord, then you clearly know what to expect next, don't you? The one who will baptize with the Spirit is coming. The Lord is coming. And behold, what do we see in verse 9 of Mark chapter 1? What do we see there? In these days, Jesus came. Isn't that amazing? Now, Mark clearly wants us to make these connections. When you see one, when you see the messenger, you know that the Lord, the other one, he is around the corner. He is literally there. Now, let me, let me check out whether we, we understand this principle uh, you know, to the core of it. I'm going to give you a few examples. I'm going to say one. I'm going to say about one. And you're going to say, who are we supposed to expect around the corner, okay? Chewbacca. Who's around the corner? 
Yes, Han Solo is around the corner. Great. Now, when we see on the stage Robin, who's next around the corner? Batman is around the corner. Yes. Well done. So it's it's one, two, three, four. It's it's two out of five. Great. If we see there appearing Dr. Watson, who are we expecting next? Sherlock Holmes. Great. Now, it's going to be a bit more difficult. When we see Samwise Gamgee appearing, who's next? Frodo Baggins, great. Now, fill in the blanks. You know, go home and check out whether you are still sharp. And with other examples, there were a bit more in, sort of, you know, a bit more silly ones I didn't bring up. But this is what Mark is doing. When we see the messenger, we know who's around the corner. The Lord himself is around the corner. And when I first realized this, what Mark is doing here, I was no longer intimidated to, to share the gospel with these Mormon guys in the Riga streets. I sometimes like crossing the street when you see these guys coming. You no longer have to do this because you have, you have the watertight argument of Jesus being the Lord God himself arriving. You know how Mormons, they, they regard Jesus as merely a created being, uh, not an eternal son of God. You know, the second person of the Trinity. Well, there is no better place to bring our Mormon uh, friends to than Mark 1. Now, here again, how the argument goes. The messenger of the Lord comes before the Lord. Now, do we see that? Yes, we see that. Now, John is proved to be the messenger of the Lord. Does not Malachi and Isaiah say that? Yes. And who comes after John? Well, Jesus comes after John in verse 9. Yes, therefore what? Who Jesus is? Jesus is the coming Lord, isn't he? And then they say, oh, I, I, don't, I have no time, thank you, I'm leaving. Anyways, but please go ahead and... and be bold in having conversations with some of the Mormon guys in Riga streets. Now, friends, we come from so many different cultures here. And maybe we were used to hearing in our schools, in our countries, or in our, um, you know, workplaces, other places where we hang around, that Jesus is just a great teacher. He is great, but he's just a teacher. Or he's a well-known prophet. You know, like in Islam, he's one of the great, great prophets. He's a healer. He's a philanthrope. But can we really know who Jesus is? Can we? And Mark says we can know who Jesus is. That is why he's so keen to establish the identity of Jesus up front. He does that through his own pronouncement. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he does that through the prophets, through the ministry of John the Baptist. And now Mark points us to God the Father himself, affirming who Jesus is. Glance at verse 11. We hear the voice from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Would you agree that God the Father... Speaking audibly is a pretty big deal. I think, it, I think we can agree on that. 
So verse 11 is something very important. It can't be uh, God simply saying here, uh, you know, boy, yeah, you've done well. You've done well. You know, like any human father would say to his son um, uh, if they succeed in school or sports. But this is not just that in verse 11. No. Instead, God here affirms something very important about who Jesus is. God reveals two things about Jesus' identity in verse 11. Two things. You are my Son, do you remember Roberts is reading from Psalm 2? That's the big connection. You are my son. Hear the quote again from verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. The son speaks. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. In other words, Jesus is God's anointed ruler over all nations. This is pretty big. But verse 11 has a surprise for us here. Now, if you have Psalm 2 or just here, the verse 7 sounds different. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. But that's not what verse 11 says of Mark chapter 1. You are my son, and notice how it ends. With you I am well pleased. And that, my friends, is a quote from Isaiah 42. And when you turn to Isaiah 42, and verse 1, you hear this about the Lord's anointed. Behold my servant. Oh, isn't that something? Behold my servant who I am uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, with whom I am well pleased. I have put my spirit upon you. And so we see the spirit in bodily form descending on Jesus, this is my servant, King. The Father from heaven announces. Now, how does that change the way we think about Jesus as King? Well, such terms as rulers and you know, authorities often bring up negative connotations, especially around now, right, where we live today. Indeed, this world, um, in this world, we mostly see how power and authority is abused. It becomes a tool for oppression. It becomes a tool for tyranny. Now, Father's voice from heaven says, with my king, it is going to be different because he comes to serve. Indeed, this is what we see and what we observe in Jesus' life, as we're going to continue reading Mark's gospel, we'll see how this king, this king, he spends time with lowlifes. He spends time with nobodies. He often does that at the expense of his meals, at the expense of his sleep. And at some point, and that I did borrow from John, I'm sorry, Roberts. At some point, he takes the towel and, and ties it around him 
and he begins washing his disciples' feet. The king. Who does that? Now, only slaves and then those of the Gentile descent did it. Now, Jesus is a different kind of boss. He is a servant boss, a servant king. Now, when was the last time you saw your boss, your dean, your head teacher, cleaning toilets and mopping floors at your office or in your uh, university or school lobby? Now, what's... Would such sight not be an extremely rare thing? Rather an exception to the rule than a rule. It doesn't simply fit with our worldly understanding of the leader. It doesn't. But think about it. People actually long for leaders like that. Who practice what they preach. Who lead by example. We want to get behind the cause of such leadership. It gets us excited. It motivates us. It makes us get out of bed in the morning. So, my friends, are we excited about the King Jesus? You see, the whole narrative of verses 1 to 15 is built towards this moment, this exciting moment after 400 years of silence the long-awaited God's anointed, appointed servant king is here. How great news it is. Boom, he is here. Jacob and Edna just are in an awe. Mark confirmed it. The prophets predicted it. John affirms it. Father from heaven anointed him. How now here... Now hear from the lips of Jesus himself the proclamation of the gospel, the great news. Our final verse, verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus says the appointed time has arrived because the appointed ruler has arrived and so his reign has arrived. Now, how should we respond? I think we do not have to search long for the response here in, in this verse. We're told in verse 15, right? Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, friends, to repent means simply to turn around. You, you, you leave your flat in the morning, you're late already for work or for your studies, you know, slightly sleepy, and you've made your way already on the street, and then you realize you've left your phone on the charger back in your flat. And so what, what do you do? What do you do? You actually repent. You turn around. What is it? Is it 180? Is it? Yes. You turn around 180, and you go and pick up your phone. Now, when Jesus talks about repentance, he simply says, you have been, you have been walking the wrong the wrong direction. Turn around, turn around, come to me. Trust me as your servant king. That's what Jesus says here. But the king never suggests. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't leave the option open. He doesn't say, uh, you know, mates, you might want to consider turning around if you have nothing better to do with your life. 
Kings never do that, don't they? Kings only command. Repent is a command. Turn around, believe in me. That's a command. Now, if you have not done this yet, this is the day. This is the day when we hear the command of the king, of the servant king. Why wouldn't we turn from our life of trusting in, in myself, in my own efforts to fix my life? Jesus says, stop doing that. Turn around. Trust in me. Trust him as someone who really is in charge, not only of your life, of the whole universe. Not convinced yet? Well, stick around. Please stick around. Stick around the Grace Church as we are going to continue looking at this king and getting to know him better. Till Easter. But most of us, most of us here have done this turning around. We have repented and we, we say we do believe in Jesus. But friends, always the question remains, how excited, how excited are we about him in a rainy day of January? There's always a danger, isn't there, that hardships of life weaken our faith, that well-being makes us too familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the prophet and the prospects, sorry, of this world often distracts, distracts us from the greatness, the awesomeness of God's kingdom. So how do we stay on track? How do we stay excited about Jesus? We get to know him better and better. That's the answer. And that is what we are going to be continuing doing as we advance in the, the Mark's gospel. We see more of the king. We see more of his kingdom. We see more of his authority. It will excite us more. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for Thank you for bringing us to your word this morning and particularly to the Mark's gospel and to this amazing, wonderful pronouncement. The time is here. The kingdom of God is at hand.